Well, good morning, Gateway family. Great to see you on a rainy morning. I'm so glad that you are here today. Would you find your copy of God's Word on your Bible app, Ephesians chapter 5, as we continue our journey through Paul's letter to the people in Ephesus and to us. And today I want to ask the question, why do Jesus' followers sing? Have you ever stopped to wonder why we sing? Why do people who say they're followers of Christ, why do we sing? If you look all over the world today, Christ's followers are singing. If you could have been a few hours ago in the middle of Africa, in Kenya, and out in the Maasai land out there, there were open-air churches that were already gathering, and the God's people out there were singing, and they were singing very loudly, and they were singing while they were jumping up and down, but they were singing to the Lord. In a few hours, if you can go to China as morning comes there, and Christians are gathering in house churches in small little segments and houses all across that country, they're going to be singing. They're not going to be singing loudly, jumping up and down like the Maasai because of persecution from the government. They will be singing quietly in their house churches, but they are still singing. All over the world, you can visit traditional-style churches. There may be a pipe organ, and they're singing hymns, but they're singing. You can visit churches where there's very contemporary in style with full bands, and they're still singing. You can even visit churches where there's no instruments, and they're still singing. Christ followers sing. There's people who have amazing voices and they sing. And there's people who have terrible voices and can't stay on key, but they still sing to the Lord. And that's quite okay. Christ followers sing. Even here at Gateway, we spend half of our worship service singing to the Lord. Why do Jesus' followers sing? Well, friends, that, that's nothing new. This has been going on since the beginning. In fact, I want you to see on the screen Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 30, because Christ and his own followers sang. So Matthew 26, this is what we celebrated last week, the Lord's Supper. When Christ first instituted the Lord's Supper, when he took the celebration of Passover, made it into what we know today as the Lord's Supper. Look at what happened. Matthew 26, 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. He goes on. And he took a cup, and when he given thanks, he gave it to them, and saying, Drink of it, all of you. Verse 28. For this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, watch verse 30. This is what they did after they celebrated the Lord's Supper together. This is Jesus and his disciples. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. What we did last week is just modeled after what Christ and his disciples did. They observed communion and then they sang a song before they went out. The early church gathered together. They sang anytime they were together and not just in corporate gatherings. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, you see that the believers sang whenever they were together, even in prison. Acts 16, 25 here, you have Paul and Silas. They've already been beaten for their faith. They've been put in jail. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. So even when the believers were in prison, not just in the weekly corporate gathering, they were still singing to God. Why do Jesus' followers sing? In the world's eyes, this is pretty rare and pretty weird. We sing in prison. We sing in corporate gatherings. We sing in small groups. We sing with our families. Why do Christians sing? Other world religions don't sing. There's chanting, there's prayers, there's teaching, but you don't find singing like what we've just done for the last 30 or 40 minutes of singing to the Lord. Why do Jesus' followers sing? Well, our answer is in Ephesians chapter 5, and today we come to verses 18 and 19. As we read these two verses, I want you to look for why do we sing? Particularly, what leads us to sing? Maybe I should say, who leads us to sing? And what is the goal of our singing? So why do we sing? Who is leading us to sing? And what's the goal of our singing. So we come to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 18 and 19 today. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. I'm reading out of the English 
Standard Version. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray today that your word would come alive. God, I pray today that you would give us new understanding of why we sing to you. Father, we've already spent time this morning singing to you, but Lord, I pray now as we look at your word about singing and why we sing to you, that you would breathe fresh life into my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters. That we would come to understand the wonder of what you've called us to do when we're together. That we'd come to understand why we do what we do. And it would lead us to greater passion, greater fervency in the way that we sing and praise you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So why do Jesus' followers sing? Which you see this morning from God's word, the Holy Spirit leads us to sing, to glorify God, and to build up one another. The Holy Spirit leads us to sing to glorify God and to build up one another. The reason we sing is because of everything we saw last week about being filled with the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, is the one who leads us to sing. And why does he lead us to sing? Because he is desiring for God to be glorified. He's desiring for us to build up one another. The goal is both vertical and horizontal. God's glory and the building up of his church, which in turn glorifies him. So really one and the same thing. The Holy Spirit leads us to sing, to glorify God, and to build up one another. So think about that and see that from God's Word. First of all, the Holy Spirit leads us to sing. Look back at verse 18 that we looked at last week. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Remember last week, to be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by Him. When we trust Christ, we're sealed with the Spirit. To be filled with Him, though, is when we yield control to Him. It was the imagery of the wind catching a sail and pushing the boat along as the wind fills the sail. It was the image of the salt being put in meat at the time. And the salt fills the meat and flavors it and preserves it. The Holy Spirit fills us, and when he does, he changes us. He preserves us, he flavors us, he guides us, he changes us when he fills us, when he controls us. So when the Holy Spirit is filling us, what happens? Well, Paul tells us, and he tells us with his sentence structure here, because in verses 18 to 21, there's one verb here, and that's to be filled. The end of verse 18, the, the verb here is to be filled. What follows in verses 19, 20, and 21 are five participles. Now, okay, English lesson. Y'all remember participles from elementary school, right? I had to look it back up also. What are participles? Participles are words that come from a verb, but they're used as an adjective. They come from a verb, but they describe something. So, for example, you could say, I traveled to Atlanta. Travel is a verb. We can make that verb into a participle. I love traveling. You can take the verb and take the form of that verb and make it into something that describes something else. Now, the verb has become a participle that I love traveling. It now describes what I love. That's what Paul does here. After saying, be filled, he follows it with five participles, five words that started out as verbs that are now used as adjectives to describe, to show us what it looks like to be filled. And over the next three, counting today, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at these five participles because it shows us what being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like in our daily life. Of those five participles that describe what it looks like to be filled, three of them are in our verse today, in verse 19, and they all have to do with singing. So what does it look like when our life is filled with the Holy Spirit? We'll look back at verses 18 and 19. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, verse 19, addressing, there's the first participle, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, there's the second participle, singing, and number three, making melody to the Lord 
with your heart. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, part of what the evidence of that is, is that we will be addressing one another, singing, and making melody. They all have to do with singing or song. Now, you may be thinking, wait, wait, the word addressing doesn't sound like singing. Some of your translations actually say speaking here. It was actually a word that was used to describe speaking a song. If you use this, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Moses spoke a song. You go to Psalm 18, David spoke a song. It was just an expression at the time of how you speak musically. And Paul makes that really clear because he says in verse 19, you address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. He follows it up with the second part of simple, that we are to be singing. And what the Greek word there means to sing, to use your voice. There's nothing complicated in this one. It's to use your voice in song. The third participle is making melody. Some of your translations may say making music, and it's a word that literally means to use an instrument to make a song. And so Paul says, take your voice, your words, take your singing, and take your instruments, and put that all together to sing as an evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That if we're filled with him, if he begins to control us, one of the outworkings of his control is we begin to sing. Friends, that's really striking Because of all the things Paul could say as an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, he starts with song. He doesn't start with, you're going to have mountain-moving faith to see things happen that can't be explained otherwise. He doesn't start with, you're going to have the tingly experience, some emotional ecstatic experience. He doesn't say, you're going to see your spiritual gifts just explode in power and you're going to be used in mighty ways in the church. He says, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if this command of verse 18 is happening in your life, then the evidence, the number one evidence is you're going to be singing. There's other evidences we'll get to in the next two weeks. Why is it that the first evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is singing? Why does the Holy Spirit even lead us to sing? There's two reasons, and they really go together. The first reason why the Holy Spirit leads us to sing is because our singing glorifies God. Our singing glorifies God. Now, we use the word glorify and glory a lot in the church. What do we mean by that? The word glory means great honor. It means an excellent reputation. So for something to have glory, we're wanting it to be honored. We want its reputation, its brilliance to be seen. And so to glorify something is not to add to its glory. It's to recognize its glory. If you glorify something, you're expressing a recognition of the glory something already has. And so the Holy Spirit leads us to sing to glorify God, to honor God, to describe his already excellent nature, to worship him for who he is. Look back in verse 19 in Ephesians 5. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, now catch the next phrase, to the Lord. We sing, we make music to the Lord. Jesus is our primary audience. We're singing to please him by recognizing his infinite worth. We're singing to please him by recognizing and honoring him for who he really is. And so we sing to glorify God. And friends, we shouldn't be surprised by that. We were made to glorify God. If you think of what it says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, why did God create his people? He says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for what? What's the next phrase? My glory. God created us for what? His glory. He says, whom I formed and made. The reason you and I have life is not because God was like, oh man, they're going to be so amazing. I got to create life for them. He gave us life so that his glory, his honor, his reputation, his fame would be seen. That's why he created us. That's also the reason he saved us. You heard some of this this morning in our call to worship, but Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 14, if we go back to that. In him, we've obtained an inheritance. 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of what? The praise of what? His glory. He gave us all these things, his inheritance, all these things, not because we're so amazing, but so that he might be glorified. Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, this is amazing what God's done for us. Now, verse 14, why has God sealed us with the Spirit? Who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of what? His glory. You see a theme here throughout Scripture? We're made for His glory. We are saved for His glory. Everything is about His glory, His honor, His fame, His renown being known. And friends, it's so important for us to grasp that because we live in a culture And even in the church world that wants to make it all about us and how amazing we are and how glorious we are, and that's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is God creates the world, He creates us, He saves us, so His fame, His renown, His honor is seen. Our lives and our salvation are not primarily about us. They're about showing the greatness of the Creator. So it's no surprise then that the first evidence Paul listed Ephesians 5, if the Holy Spirit has control of us, is He turns our lives to want to glorify God. Now, that includes more than singing. I get that. That includes how we live, holiness, all the things we've been seeing in Ephesians. That includes our desires for Him, how we talk about Him. But the focus here is a desire to glorify God in song. Friend, why is song so important for glorifying God? Because singing should be an overflow of our hearts. There are certain things that are so amazing that plain, monotone words just don't suffice for. If we really get how holy God is and He's rescued us, it almost seems inadequate to go, a perfect holy God saved me from my sin, I'm going to heaven, yay. Yeah, it's just, there's something that seems inadequate in trying to express in a bland way the majesty of a glorious God who has rescued undeserving sinners like you and me. When we grasp the wonder of something, it's hard to contain it. We sing. Look at sporting events. Look at how people sing about their teams and sing to their teams. There's something inside of us that wants to express something when we find something glorious. We gra- this is what's happened throughout Scripture. Look back at Exodus chapter 14, verse 31. This is fascinating. When God's people had been rescued from slavery in Egypt, when they crossed the Red Sea, literally God has pushed them up against the sea. The Egyptian army's coming behind them. God parts the sea. Dry ground appears. They walk across dry ground in the middle of an ocean with walls of water on either side. They come out the other side. The Egyptian army follows them. God creates confusion in the Egyptian army. They start to try to scramble and flee, but they can't. The water crashes in. God's judgment is seen. His power is seen, and God's people are rescued. What do they do in response to seeing God rescue them? They're not like, yay, God saved us. Let's move about our lives. They sing. So look at Exodus 14, 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Now the very next verse, verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And then the rest of chapter 15 is God's people singing to God about his amazing deliverance they've just seen happen before their eyes. When they experience firsthand the power of God working on their behalf, they can't contain it. They erupt in song. This is what so many of the Psalms are all about. In Psalm chapter 33, the psalmist is reflecting on who God is and what he's done, and he can't help but sing. Psalm chapter 33, verse 1, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Now, we're righteous and upright, not because of anything we've done, because what God has done. Verse 2, give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. 
make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Verse 3, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. In verse 4, for the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. When the psalmist meditates on the faithfulness of God, he can't contain himself. He's not like God's faithful, yay. He like literally burst out in song as he ponders the faithfulness of God. Friends, when you and I grasp in our lives that God has created us for his glory, he has rescued us in our undeserving sinful state for his glory, the Holy Spirit begins to lead us to express that joy, that wonder in song so that God is honored and God is glorified. As the Holy Spirit fills us, friends, he leads us to sing because it glorifies God, because it honors God. But there's a second reason that's closely related of why we sing, and that is because it builds up one another. It builds up one another. Look back at verse 19 in Ephesians chapter 5. This is fascinating. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Addressing who? Addressing who? When we sing, God is our primary audience, but he also says you're to address one another. Another. We're to sing to one another. Now, what does that mean, friends? That doesn't mean that our daily life has to become a musical. That doesn't mean when I see in the morning, I go, good morning, good morning. It's a new. It doesn't mean when we leave today, you have to wave at your friends and be like, so long, farewell. I need to. You don't have to do that. That's not what this is talking about. But what does it mean to address one another in song? This has everything to do with when the believers gather together. Don't you see Hebrews chapter 10? Verses 24 and 25, because I think it gives us the answer of what's going on. In Hebrews 10, we're told this, let us consider, so take a pause from all of our busyness, let us stop and think about how to stir up one another. We have a command, we've seen this all throughout Ephesians, we have a command to be building each other up. So Hebrews tells us to stir each other up for love and good works. Now, how do we do that? Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. One of the important ways the church builds each other up is we regularly meet together in corporate Worship. That's why when we gather on Sundays, it's not just a nice little add-on to our week. It is part of the key thing God has saved us to do, is to get together as believers to build each other up. So not neglecting to meet together, as in some are the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are commanded by God to gather regularly to encourage one another, to teach one another. And how do we do that? Go back to Ephesians 5, verse 19. Addressing one another and psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs. That means that God's plan for us is when we get together to sing, not only for God's glory, but for building up one another, for encouraging one another, for teaching one another. Remember last week we saw that this text in Ephesians 5 has a parallel text in Colossians 3. Don't you see that? Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Because don't you see the connection here with what we looked at? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we're told to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, how do we teach one another? Very next phrase. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So how do we teach one another when we're gathered? We sing to one another. Yes, we study the word. Yes, we have teaching time. But we teach each other by singing together, singing to one another. So what are we trying to teach each other when we sing? What are we reminding each other of when we sing? Three things. First of all, we're reminding each other who God is. Reminding each other of who God is, of his character, of his nature, of his promises. Friends, we are so prone to forget the character of God. 
We're so prone to get distracted with all the business of life and the cares of the world that we forget who God is. And there's something about us coming together as believers when we sing songs that God begins to draw our heart back to him because we're hearing each other sing about who God is and his character. I mean, even this morning, the second song we sang, You Are Worthy of It All. We sang all the saints and the angels, they bow before your throne. In that song, we also sang that from you come all things and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Obviously, friends, we're singing to God. We're singing to the Lord to glorify him. But we're also singing that to one another to remind each other that God is the creator, that God is the provider, that God is the one who is worthy of worship. And friends, I would suspect there's some of you who came in today, your mind distracted with a million other things, having trouble focusing on the Lord. And when you heard other believers around you singing to the Lord, going, you're worthy of it all, God used that to begin to stir your heart back to remembering his character. We sing to one another to remind each other who God is. Second of all, in addition to singing to remind each other who God is, we sing to help each other remember how God acts, of his power, of his faithfulness, of all that he's done in the past and all he still has promised to do. Think about the song we sang this morning, our third song, Ever Be. Your love is enduring through the winter rain. We went on to sing that you have mercy for today. Faithful you have been and faithful you will be. You've pledged yourself to me and that's why I sing. We were singing, obviously, to glorify God. We were singing about God's faithfulness and that honors him. But friends, we were singing to one another, to teach one another, to remind one another of the faithfulness of God, of the call for us to live out being the bride of Christ. And there were some of us today who have come in feeling overwhelmed with life. And when you heard other believers singing about faithful you have been, faithful you will be, the Holy Spirit took that instruction and song when the church was gathered to build up your heart and encourage you in your own discouragement. We sing to glorify God. We sing to teach each other who God is, how he acts, but number three, who we are. Now, friends, we're sinners saved by grace. We don't have it all figured out. We're sinners saved by grace who need God so desperately. We need the gospel as much today as the day we came to faith in Christ. We're children of God, and we need to be reminded of who we are. The very first song we sang today, Who You Say I Am, has some amazing lines in it. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. We went on to sing in that song, Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I am a child to God. We sing, I was a slave to sin, but Jesus died for me. I am chosen, not forsaken. Think about all, that was a language of Ephesians put to song. And was there some of you who perhaps came in today who had lost sight of God's love for you and lost sight of his invitation to sit at his table and be his child. And as we sang about what God has done, who you say I am, we are glorifying God by pointing out what only God can do. We're honoring him, but we're also teaching, instructing, reminding one another of the language of Ephesians of what God has done for us and what our identity in Christ is. And so we're singing to each other. And in fact, the reality, friends, is many of the songs we sing do all three of those things. They remind us who God is. They remind us how God acts. They remind us of who we are. I think of the, the last song we sang about living hope. The cross is spoken. I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. In that one song, we're singing about the character of God. We're singing what God has done, with Jesus stepping down from glory to carry my sin and my shame. We're talking about him adopting us. The King of Kings calls me his own. And all these things, we're not only reminding ourselves, we're not only praising God, but we're calling each other to now praise God as well, to praise our living hope. Friends, we sing to build up one another. 
And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Think of all we've seen in Ephesians of God's heart for building up the church, building up the body of Christ. Look back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, just to remind us of what the Holy Spirit is doing and why he gives us song. Ephesians 2, 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows. And watch the language here. The whole structure grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together. All the believers are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is doing the building. And one of the tools the Holy Spirit uses to build up the saints, to bring them together to be the church that he dwells in, is he uses our songs to God and to one another to build up the church. And a church, for instance, built up glorifies God. And so we sing to glorify God. We sing to build each other up so that the church then glorifies God. The Holy Spirit fills us. As he fills us, he leads us to sing because it glorifies God and because it builds up his church and that glorifies God. Now, these are two practical questions. If the Holy Spirit filling us leads us to sing for the glory of God and for the building up of his church, what do we sing and how do we sing? And our text answers both of those questions for us. What do we sing? Go back to verse 19 in Ephesians chapter 5. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, friends, today I think some people overly distinguish these. They, they make a big deal of psalms are this type of music and hymns are this type of music and spiritual songs are this type of music. I don't think that's what Paul is doing here. Now, if you think that, that's fine. We can still be friends and it's okay, but that's not what I think is happening in this particular text. Remember, Paul, what, what we've been saying about the church up to this point is Jews and Gentiles are being brought together, being united as the church. Psalms would be the term for worship songs that the Jews were familiar with. When they were singing to the Lord, as, or singing to God as, as Jews, they would use the Psalms, the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. So this would be the common expression for their wor- what they understood worship to be, singing from the Psalms. The term hymn is not a uniquely Christian word. This would be a Greek term. Paul's addressing the Gentile background Christians in the church. In fact, hymns was just a common word at the time for any song to a deity. So you've heard us talk about Ephesus, where this letter was written to the believers at. There was a massive temple to Artemis there. They had a guild of hymn writers in that temple to Artemis to sing songs to Artemis at the time. They had, you find works of antiquity like Homer's hymns. This was a term familiar to Gentiles. Paul takes a term of worship the Jews know the term of worship the Gentiles know, and he puts them together and throws in one more spiritual songs, which is any new song the church comes up with to glorify God. And, and his point is not differentiating styles as much as saying, really, the style doesn't matter. If you're Jew, if you're Gentile, if it's a new song, neither one of you have heard, no, it doesn't really matter on that. You're, we're going to sing songs that are familiar to Jews, songs familiar to Gentiles, new songs that have never been come up with before. The point is a style doesn't matter. If it glorifies God, if it builds up other believers then sing it. If it doesn't glorify God and doesn't build up believers, don't sing it. Friends, you, you don't see it, Norm, but there's a, quite a list of songs that Ashley and I don't have done here at Gateway. Why? Because they don't glorify God. They glorify man. There's so much music today that's Christian music. It's not about the glory of God. It's about how amazing people are. So we don't sing those. There's songs that aren't going to build up the church. They may be cool and catchy, but they don't do good for unifying believers. So the standard for us is not so much the style as it is does the song glorify God? Does it build up other believers? So as the Holy Spirit fills us, he leads us to sing. He leads us to sing a variety of styles of music 
as long as it glorifies God and builds up his church. So that's the what. We can sing anything as long as it glorifies God and builds up his church. But secondly, how do we sing? How do we sing those songs? Verse 19 tells us again in Ephesians 5, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Don't miss that last phrase there. We're singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The heart represents the center of the person. It represents your emotions. And so it's calling us to sing to God, not out of just doing things out of habit, not doing things perfunctorily. We're singing to God from the depth of our soul, from our whole being. Whereas if we try to sing to the Lord and we're not at all meaning it and it's not coming from our heart, not only does it do no good, it may actually harm us. It's not what God calls us to. Jesus warns about worship we don't mean. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Now, granted, he's speaking here to the Pharisees, but it shows us a principle about worship and what God requires of us. He says there, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Again, he's talking to the Pharisees, but I think it shows us God's less interested in the words and more interested in our heart. Is our heart into the words we're saying. Verse 9 follows. He says, in vain do they worship me. Now just pause and let that sink in. We can worship God in vain. If we're singing to the Lord, but we're doing it to make, to get attention to ourselves, it's in vain. If we're singing to the Lord and we're doing so full of pride or with division and dissension in our lives towards others, we're doing it in vain. He says, in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Friends, God cares about our heart, our affections, our feeling. And so he calls us to worship him from our hearts. So what do we do, friends, if our hearts aren't in it? Because I've been there and you've been there. There's times that we're just, our hearts aren't in it. Can I suggest just two simple things that we find ourselves at a place our heart really isn't wanting to worship? Pause, number one, and think about God's character. The more we ponder the character of God and his nature and his attributes, the more we'll find our heart affections warming to him to want to sing to him. But number two, last week, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Remember, that's passive. We can't do it. He has to do it for us. We ask him, Holy Spirit, fill me. My heart right now has no affections to sing to you, but I know I'm supposed to. Would you fill me now and turn my focus to to who you are, O Lord, and to change my desires to where I want to sing to you and see what he does when we ask him that. Friends, the Holy Spirit leads us to sing a variety of songs from our hearts in order to glorify God and to build up one another, which glorifies God. So I'm going to end by asking you this. Are you and I at a place where we are so amazed by God? We're so in awe of his character and his nature, so overwhelmed by his goodness, so filled with his spirit that we cannot help but sing. Because we're so filled with the Holy Spirit and so amazed at God's grace that when we're driving down the road, we can't help but sing. When we're with our families doing family devotions, we can't help but sing. When we're gathered corporately, we can't help but sing because we're so overwhelmed with who God is. If we find ourselves in that place, it's not because of anything we've done. It's simply because of who God is and because of what God has done in us, filling us with his Holy Spirit. But friends, if not, why? What obstacle stands in the way of us expressing our songs to God? There could be a variety of things. Perhaps we've lost sight of the wonder of who God is. Perhaps we fear what people will think. Perhaps we think we don't have a good enough voice. Perhaps we're missing the role of singing to build up others, and we're thinking just about ourselves. Perhaps we're, Ephesians 5, not seeking to be filled. Or Colossians 3, perhaps we're not letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. There's a million different excuses and lies the enemy can throw at us to keep us from singing to the Lord. And friends, when we find ourselves at places where our hearts aren't feeling stirred to sing to the Lord privately and corporately, 
we need to pause and ask the Holy Spirit to search us and to show us that we might repent of those things so that we can quickly return to a place of lifting our voices in songs. Because God's will for us is quite simply be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we're thankful that you put a song in our mouth. Or to think that you have made us into a singing people, a people who desire to, to worship you. Lord, we cannot manufacture those desires for you, but God, in your grace gift to us, you give them to us. Lord, I pray right now that even as we stand to sing, that you would stir our heart affections, that we would turn our minds to your glory, to your greatness. And Lord, for us as your children, brothers and sisters, you brought together, God, that we would now in song glorify you, honor you for your excellencies. As well, Lord, I pray that we would build one another up as we sing about who you are and what you've done. And Lord, I pray that the songs we sing will not be limited to this room. But God, as myself and these precious brothers and sisters more and more day by day learn what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I pray you'd be growing us more and more into a singing people. That we find ourselves just driving down the road to school or work or to visit a friend singing as we drive because our hearts are so full of thinking about your grace, that we as families have begun to sing together. Perhaps we've never done that, but God, I pray that today that families that have never sung together might start singing together around the dinner table or doing devotions and singing to you because we're so overcome with your grace at work in our family's life. I brother, I pray for us as a church. We have people who sing not out of habit, not in a perfunctory way. God, we would come on Sunday mornings already overflowing because we've been singing to you all week, experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit all week. And when we gather corporately, God, that our hearts would just overflow with song. Not to draw attention to ourselves, not to be showy, but God, just simply because we're so amazed by your grace, we cannot keep it in except for to sing to you who you are. So God, for your glory and for the good of your church, would you put a new song in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters? Would you fill us with your spirit that we might glorify you and build each other up in song? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?